Welcome to the City Life Podcast. I'm Tim Woody, the pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth. There is purpose for your life. There's a destiny you have yet to walk into, and there is hope regardless of what you're facing today. I encourage you to open your heart now to what God will be speaking to you over these next few minutes. I'm excited to preach right now, so I'm asking you to get your Bibles and also get something to write some notes on. Bibles and notes. The reason is, is I'm going to, I'm going to be sharing some scriptures with you and some things with you that, that hopefully you'll be able to, uh, you'll be able to apply them directly to your life, but also be able to use this to help encourage others. And, uh, and, and today I'm, I'm talking about a topic that is of deep relevance to everyone. Now you might be here today and you're not a believer in Jesus. You just don't know about God and you maybe even heard something about this sermon that, that I'm talking about a topic that a lot of people ask. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer this. I'm going to deal with this the best I can. And this is a really tough question that my sermon is about today. And if you're a believer... You have definitely, at one time or another, or probably several times, have had to deal with someone asking you the question that I'm going to be dealing with today. So I encourage you to open your heart, but also open your Bibles and get your notes out because we're going to dive in. Open your Bibles now to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4 verse 16, 2 Corinthians 4, 16, and then I'm going to, we're going to skip over a little bit right after that to 2 Corinthians 12, 7. So jot those down, 2 Corinthians 4 and 2 Corinthians 12, and, uh, and that way you'll be able to follow along with the scriptures I'm going to be sharing with you today. Uh, wow, last Sunday was a challenging, uh, challenging day here. I mean, we, we had a wonderful day at church, uh, but Sunday afternoon in North Fort Worth, uh, just a few blocks from where uh, Anthony and Shauna live, there was a horrific tragedy that happened in our city. Uh, a, a car drove up and opened fire on, on a group of people just enjoying Sunday afternoon in front of their home. And a teenage boy, a five-year-old boy, they were both murdered. They were both killed. Even an 18-month-old baby was injured as shots rang out. And this was devastating. This was devastating. I followed the story this week, and, and I saw this, this little news report that I wanted to share with you right now of when the family finally decided to speak out. And I want you to take a look at that. Very difficult first words from the family of those two Fort Worth children we've talked about who were killed last weekend. The reality of how this shooting has now changed their lives. Here's our Alexis Wainwright. It's hard to express when somebody comes to where you live and takes away someone that you love. They didn't just take one of of our babies they took two tijuana west can't describe the pain after her son and nephew were killed do it do it for the, we doing it we have in the community 17 year old jamarian monroe and his cousin five-year-old rayshard scott died after they were shot while standing in the front of their house in fort worth sunday my son is loves to crack jokes 
you would have to really get to know him. But once you know him, to know him is to love him. Rayshard, bubbly, energetic, loved to play wrestling with my grandson, the 18-month-old, and his eight-year-old brother, or anybody. Monroe's 18-year-old son, Kari, was also shot. He's doing okay, um, still traumatized from the events, any loud noises, sudden noises. Um, it scares them. Police say a car drove to the 5800 block of Steel Dust Drive and started shooting into a crowd of people in front of the house and drove away. If anyone does know anything, just be loving and caring and kind enough to say something. Wes says all they want is an arrest and answers. It would mean a lot to us as a family just to know who and why. Like, they were only 17 and five, so that's a, that's a lot to process. Now Kari has to grow up without his father. The family says they're working on getting him some counseling to help him get through all of this. Again, anyone with information is asked to contact Fort Worth Police. Alexis Wainwright, CBS 11 News. Very difficult. Can we uh, pray for the West family right now? God, I would just pray for this family. I can't even wrap my brain around the pain they must be feeling, the shock, the loss, the injustice. We pray for your healing in their hearts. I pray that this neighborhood will just continue to surround them with love, with life, and the goodness of the presence of God. Let it be strong in that neighborhood. Also pray for the individuals who committed this horrible act of murder. And I pray that they will be brought to justice. And that we will also be an example to others that in our culture we don't stand for this. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Today I'm asking a very appropriate question. If God is good, why is there suffering? And I, I want to tell you right up front, I don't know everything. Um, I don't. I, I, I don't have all the answers. Like you, I'm a continual seeker of truth. I want that. But I've also found peace and I found resolution in my heart knowing this is that Jesus Christ is truth. And that's actually a great place to start. Jesus literally said, I am the truth. So I start there. Some people say that, uh, that, that unjust suffering is some kind of a philosophical problem. Uh, so, so some people literally call into question the very existence of God. But for most people, unjust suffering is a very, very personal issue, just like this family. You may not care about the abstract question as to whether God exists or not, but the truth is you may have 
inadvertently even refuse to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life because you're questioning this and you're struggling and you're wrestling with the reality of pain and suffering that you've seen around you and that you've even possibly seen throughout the history of the world. 18 years ago on December 26th of 2004, a tsunami uh, from the Indian Ocean, it, it inundated the areas around it and killed some 225,000 225, people. Horrible, horrible disaster. It affected dozens of countries. And there was a reporter who was reporting on this who had actually seen some of what had happened. And the reporter wrote this. Here are these words. He said, if God is God then God is not good. And if God is good, then he is not God. You can't have it both ways, especially after the Indian Ocean catastrophe. And I, and I tell you, this is the type of thinking that has confounded a lot of people. So, so today I want to try to peel back some layers and really engage this question. But I do want to propose this right up front. Suffering is not evidence against God. Trying to demonstrate that evil and that suffering disproves the existence of God, it actually takes you to a dead end. It really, really doesn't work. And uh, I'm not the only one who would say this. There are many uh, people who are on all sides of the issue who are conceding that basically there is no foundation to that claim that, uh, that because they're suffering, God is not good, or because they're suffering, there is no, there is no God. I want to quote John L. Mackey. He is a famous secular Australian philosopher. He defended atheism, and he uh, had this book, one of his many books, he called The Miracle of Theism. But he wrote in this book, he said, If a good and powerful God exists, he would not allow pointless evil. But because there is much unjustifiable, pointless evil in the world, the traditional good and powerful God cannot exist. Some other God or no God may exist, but not the traditional God. Now, not just me, but many philosophers have, have noticed a huge flaw in his reasoning. In fact, C.S. Lewis, who was the brilliant author, who uh, was a spiritual and, liter and, um, and the literary mentor of J.R.R. Tolkien, he said this, he said, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? What was I comparing the universe with when I called it unjust? Of course, I could have given up my idea of justice by saying it was nothing but a private idea of my own. But if I did that, then my argument against God collapsed too. For the argument depended on saying that the world was really unjust, not simply that it did not happen to please my private fancies. <laughs> Consequently, atheism turns out to be too simple. And you see, tucked away in this reasoning of an unjust God is the assertion that if evil is pointless to me, then it is pointless in general. 
Just because you can't see a purpose in suffering doesn't mean that there's no purpose in it. Basically, if you take that position, then you're a skeptic who has enormous faith in your own opinion. In other words, in our finite minds, for us to feel that we can plumb the depths of the universe and find no reason in suffering, (laughs) then there must not be a reason for it because our minds are finite and we can't really see it all. We can't really figure it all out. And the truth is that has to be one of the greatest examples of blind faith. And I want to illustrate blind faith in a way a Texan can understand it. Now, we're all, hopefully, we're all good Texans here. And if you've been around Texas for a while, you've been out, out in the fields, you've been out in the open land. I know we're downtown Fort Worth, and, and there's not much of that around here. But come on, we, we got to get outdoors. We, we, we enjoy having a good time. But this is an illustration I like to use to explain this. Let's just say it's a hot August day in North Texas, and you see this field out in front of you, and you're looking at that field, and it's a grassy field, and, and, and you're looking for a longhorn. But if I don't see a longhorn, then it's fair to reason that there is not a longhorn out there because I can't see it, right? Well, correct. But... If I look across that same field and say, I wonder if I see a chigger out there. Come on, you know what a chigger is. Unless you're from way up north. Yeah, trust me, you know what a chigger is. I'm looking out there and I'm like, do I see a chigger out there? And you don't see a chigger, then is it not safe to assume there are no chiggers in the field because you can't see one? course not there are likely hundreds of thousands of there and all you have to do is walk out there and a few hours later definitely the next day you will be experiencing the wonders of texas in the summer you see in the same way a lot of people assume that if there was a good reason for suffering and for evil in this world, then, but if they don't see that reason, then the reason doesn't exist. They're treating that as a chigger. If you don't see it, it's not there. And just because you can't see a reason for suffering doesn't eliminate the possibility that there is a reason. So this argument against God, it really doesn't stand up, it doesn't hold up, it doesn't hold up under even basic logic, and it doesn't hold up to experience as well. Now I want us to start looking at the scriptures, and first of all, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Paul, who was a man who killed Christians, uh, and he was then later transformed by God to be the greatest church planter in the New Testament, he wrote this description about the processing of suffering and pain. Look at it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. We're going to go through verse 18. He said, We do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, that means the troubles, 
the turmoil. And you can read in the context what he's actually talking about. But on what is unseen, which is the Lord. Since what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. So, so Paul makes it clear that basically bad things happen. I mean, he's saying right here, our bodies are literally wasting away. But focusing on that, you actually begin to see the pinnacle of narrow-mindedness, of, oh, there's just a problem with my body wasting away. We're missing the whole point, that God is eternal. And everything in this world, everything is temporary. So, based upon this, it becomes clear that suffering is actually evidence for God. How? Well, let's talk about Jesus. We sang about him a few minutes ago. Jesus, God in human flesh. Jesus, he was a man who suffered. He did. He suffered greatly. But his pain had a purpose. And and do you know, he was wrapped in human skin. He walked around in a body like ours. And he, he actually even tried to avoid the suffering, just like you and I do. Because it's our instinct, the instinct of humanity, of us, is to live pain-free, right? But what he did is he went ahead and he embraced the suffering. He embraced the pain. He embraced the agony of the cross. And do you know what we do in Christianity? We celebrate his suffering. It's called Holy Communion. The close of today's service, we're going to be taking Holy Communion and celebrating yet again the suffering of Jesus Christ. The elements are twofold. The bread, which represents his body that was beaten, that was bruised, that was pierced. There's the wine that represents the blood that he shed. But because of his suffering, we have healing. We have the hope of eternity. We have salvation. We have freedom. Suffering brought the miracle of eternity. In fact, in Christianity, suffering in reality is the very center of our faith. And we don't hide it. In fact, the scriptures in no way from beginning to end hide the suffering at all. There's no attempt to mask the truth of suffering. In reality, if if there there was no pain, if there was no suffering, uh, there actually wouldn't even be any reason for our faith. I mean, why would we even need to show compassion? We wouldn't have to because there would be no pain or suffering. How would we even begin to act out and live out our Christian faith? There's no reason to be generous. There would be no reason to love because everything is just perfect and wonderful. There is reason for our faith, and it's based in suffering. At the same time, I know some of you have suffered greatly in a variety of ways. I, I know, I know you. I, I know many of you, most of you. I, I know things that are going on in your lives. And some of you, you're suffering right now. I just think of the various, as I was writing this sermon, I just think of the various people that I talked with this week and some of the private suffering and private pain that people are walking through. And I know, I know it's real. I know it's there. We may not know exactly what the answer is, but I do know what it's not. It, 
the answer cannot be that God doesn't love us. The answer cannot be that God is detached and that God is unconcerned about our condition. You see, Jesus took on our suffering himself. In God, he experienced this, this, this incredible, terrible mystery of, of, of the suffering of his own son. God allowed it. God allowed the suffering of his own son so that our suffering could be heaped upon him. You see, through Jesus, through him, we have this hope of, 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 of consolation, really even in the midst of our suffering. There's this hope of restoration. There's this hope of eternity. And it's found in Jesus because of the suffering. And, uh, and that's not just some little temporary answer that's given to you to try to numb your pain to make you feel good in the moment. No, this is an indestructible promise from the word of God. It is truth. And in God's timing, hear me, in God's timing, all Things will be restored by Jesus Christ himself. Eternity is that place where there is no suffering, where there is no pain. Yet I acknowledge that here in this world, in in this life, on this earth, we still suffer. And we still struggle with this question of why. I know. I do. We do. Paul addressed it this way, and this is in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Go ahead and take a look at that. This is Paul speaking about his own suffering he was going through. He said, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake... I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I'll tell you, you can see this as well. It is a paradox. But it is our faith. And it is our faith. And our faith says there is hope. And there is always hope. One of my favorite childhood stories, and one of my favorite stories I love as an adult as well, is the story of of Joseph from the book of Genesis. I just read through it again yesterday. and <sighs> Joseph, I mean, he was this arrogant teenager who was thrown into a pit, and he was painfully rejected by his brothers. He was left for dead by his brothers, and he was then sold into suffering and slavery in Egypt. And Joseph, kind of like Paul, he prayed to God for deliverance, but nothing happened <laughs> He spent years in bondage, years in misery, but during that time, his character began to develop, and his resolve began to be refined. Eventually, through a very bizarre set of circumstances, Joseph became the prime minister of Egypt, the second in command right under Pharaoh. 
And in this position, he saved hundreds of thousands of lives, including his own family, from starvation. In fact, he even rescued some of the people who caused him great suffering and horrific pain in his own life. And if God had not allowed Joseph to walk through that time of suffering, he never would have been able to be the powerful agent of justice and reconciliation and spiritual healing that he was. He's an example for us. So honestly, Christianity is the only explanation that enables people to have hope and encouragement and courage in the midst of suffering and pain. It's Christianity. Hey, really, if, if, you were able to, if you were just to sit down to talk with anyone over the age of 50, they would most certainly tell you that painful times in their lives were some of the most powerful catalysts for the things that actually brought them success. Talk to a few after church. It's true. It's true. Some people look at illness and say it's just not right, you know. But many people who have walked through horrible illness, they found it to be a, a time of personal and spiritual growth. I mean, for me, I, I experienced a, a bacterial pneumonia. It's about, been about 30 years now, and it was horribly devastating to my young body at the time. But it resulted in this, this character development in me that really changed my life. It made me a different person. It changed a lot of attitudes in my life that needed to be corrected, and that situation corrected it. Still to this day, when I start to cough and there are fumes around from exhaust or something like that, it takes me back to when I had that pneumonia and I remember that feeling. I remember what I was experiencing, but I also remember what God brought me through and how God changed me as a person. I'm a better person, even though sometimes I still cough a little bit. <laughs> there, there were times even during that where I felt like God was just like, like a million miles away. He didn't care about me. I would try every day just to get up and go to work and make it to the bathroom floor where I would just lay back down and go back to bed. I would go to the office and I'd work for an hour and just feel like so sick and I have to go right back home day after day after day, week after week after week. But God didn't forget me. God was with me and God changed me. See, Jesus is God with us which is his name. His name is God with us. And the worst of our suffering, that is the name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Now, I know y'all are from, we're, we're all from Texas, and I didn't say Manuel, you know. I said Emmanuel, all right? Emmanuel, he is with us always. A few years ago, Rebecca and I were uh, on an airplane. We were, we were flying back. I can't remember where we were flying from, but it was about a three-hour flight, and we were seated next to a woman by the name of Marlene Elias. Do you remember sitting next to Marlene? And that was probably the most interesting three-hour conversation I've had with people. I don't like talking with people on airplanes. I know just personally, that's just kind of my thing. I really don't want to have chat time. Just, that's just me. But this lady, she engaged our hearts uh, she told the story of her life, and, and after I got off the plane, I was like, is this true? And I looked it up. I was like, oh, yeah, it is true. 
But she was a lived her life as an entertainer in Southern California, and she became close friends with Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa is what is now considered a Catholic saint, but she was an incredible uh, person who had dedicated her entire life to the, uh, to, the, to the people who were impoverished in Calcutta, India. Calcutta is one of the poorest large cities in the world. And, uh, you know, just during that three-hour flight, I mean, we were just enthralled with her stories. And she told us stories that she witnessed firsthand that, are, that wouldn't be told anywhere else, just the things that she saw. And uh, one story really stood out to me. And I jotted the notes down from that story afterwards thinking, I, this is amazing. And she was telling this with just like fire in her eyes. And you could see the passion in her heart as she told the story. She said that one day, directly across the street from the convent, there was a man who was laying on the sidewalk and he was barely alive. In fact, uh, she said his body was covered with maggots. And it was a, she just, just she just said they were swarming all over his body. And he was alive, but, you know, but, but barely. And Mother Teresa saw him. She got some help from some others, and she helped them physically carry this man into the convent. And, and uh, this lady explains, she says, even part of his skin stuck to the sidewalk as soon as he was picked up. And they, they carried this literally rotting man inside. And at that, once they got, her, got him in, Mother Teresa began to meticulously take every single maggot off of his skin one at a time one at a time and she kept telling the man everything's going to be okay please understand though this man was a hindu and he couldn't figure out why she was doing this because hinduism you don't do that you just let people go he said why are you being so kind to me why are you doing this mother Teresa said i'm doing this because of Jesus. I mean, she just kept taking the maggots off one after another after another. Marlene said that tears began to fill this man's eyes. And then he said, well, I want to know this Jesus. And in his state of suffering that I don't think any of us can imagine, this man prayed a sinner's prayer. And he gave his life to Jesus, and she said that the biggest smile came over this former Hindu's face as he gave his life to Christ. And she said before all of the maggots could be removed from the body, that smile on his face, seconds later, he slipped away into eternity with no pain, with no suffering, with an eternity with Jesus. Suffering can be the catalyst for your biggest miracle or a miracle for someone else. And there's no amount of suffering or pain that can alienate you from God. Paul says, says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 35. You should mark this in your Bibles, but I got it here on the screens for you. Mark 8, 35, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness, or, or danger, or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
not just a conqueror, but more than a conqueror through Jesus. He says, for I am convinced, oh, get this, this is good, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In your greatest pain, Jesus can be more real and more alive than you can ever imagine. In the Old Testament, David, one of the heroes of the faith, one of my, I would say probably my favorite character in the Bible, he wasn't yet king, but at that time, all hell had broken loose against him, and everything was going wrong. Everything was just looking bad for him. And at that time, he wrote some words of poetry, which was captured into a psalm, Psalm 34, and it lasts for us today. In fact, later on, he would have sang this song and had the people of Jerusalem sing this song. And in the middle of this song is a, is a, is a line that I chose to put to memory many years ago, and it's this. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. If trouble is surrounding you, it's not because God's just angry with you or God's just had enough of you or you've let him down one too many times so he's just going to give you a lot of suffering. And while the truth is, you might be in great pain and you may be in suffering, but God, my God, is there with you. He is there to walk with you and to stand with you and to deliver you. And on top of that, God will, not might, but will use any of the suffering and any of the pain that you're experiencing for a greater purpose somehow, even though you can't see it at the time. But even though you can't see it, you've got to rest assured, be rest assured of this one truth. Our suffering is not in vain. Guys, I, I don't like pain any more than the rest of you. I don't like knowing that some of you are walking through some really tough stuff right now, some immense pain and suffering, emotional, relational, and physical, and all financial. I, I don't like trials. I don't like them. I don't enjoy tough times. But you know, when I was in high school, I went through a tough season. It was my senior year. It should be that time when every senior is just really enjoying his last moments in high school. And, and up until then, I was deeply involved in all types of stuff. I mean, I was, I was involved in everything. But my senior year, things kind of fell apart from my family. Uh, my family ended up in a situation where there just wasn't any income. And I kind of threw my plans for my senior year in, into a tailspin. So what I chose to do at the beginning of my senior year, because I just didn't enjoy going to some of those classes anyway, I just thought, well, I'm just going to enroll in a work-study program. Or I go to school in the mornings. I don't know if they still do this, but I go to school in the morning and then leave around noon and be out the rest of the afternoon, and I would work a job. So I, I got myself a full-time job during my senior year of high school. And I worked 40 hours a week earning money so that I could bring home groceries from the grocery store that I worked at. I'd bring them home, and I'd also have enough money to take care of myself and my car and so that I didn't have to lean on my parents at all. And uh, that's how I spent my senior year. Uh, it was hard. There was no extracurricular anything. 
There wasn't any. Living in Odessa, Texas, when everything's all about football and Permian High School is playing, which is where I was going to school, I never was able to make it to any of those football games because I was working. But I knew it was going to be okay. Now, what I did is I chose to make the best of the situation. But what that did for me is that helped me with my attitude even toward my own parents because I honored my parents in a way I never had, was able to before. I honored them. I honored my family. And I developed a work ethic during those times. Because I was going to school, working full time. I didn't get to enjoy the, all the fun stuff everyone else was doing. But I did it, and I worked hard, and I ended up with this work ethic that, that still carries me to this day. It also caused my faith to be increased because I saw that when my parents were in this difficult, our families in this difficult situation, that God found a way to help provide for the family through a punk 17-year-old who just wanted to, if I had my own way, I would just been in my Mustang flying down the road, which I still sometimes did, but you know. James, the younger brother of Jesus Christ, um, who watched his brother be assaulted and executed, he said this in James chapter 1, verse 2. He said, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, I like, go, go back to that previous slide. I want you to see those two words, consider it. Those are the key words, because what that means is that you have to make a decision to have joy even though you're not happy. <laughs> and you're going to be a better person because of it when it's all over with if you've got your eyes on Jesus Christ. Have you been doubting Jesus? Is there pain and suffering, trials, affliction that has just been pulling you down? Well, if so, today I want to pray for you. I want to pray for life. I want to pray for encouragement. I also want to pray that the Spirit of God will just overtake you. And in a few minutes, we're going to practice Christianity through the elements of communion. We're going to celebrate the suffering of Jesus. And I have a feeling that over these next 10 minutes, God's going to do some amazing things in your heart and in your life. Will you just let him? In fact, right now, just open your heart up to the Lord and say, Holy Spirit, just have your way in me. Come on, will you just whisper that prayer to God? Holy Spirit, have your way in me. Have your way in me. God, right now, I pray for those who are suffering. I pray for strength. I pray for faith. I pray for perseverance. Pray for joy. That even though a righteous person may have many troubles, you deliver them from them all. Your suffering is not in vain. And nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing, 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 nothing. Lord, I pray for release of healing. I pray for hope in the midst of the trial, even though some can't even see how anything good can come about as a result of what they're walking through right now. I, I pray for hope 
that you've got everything under control. You're not going to leave us hanging. You're not going to just, just dump us on the side of the street and say, I'm done with you. No, God, you're going to walk us through just like you have the saints of old all through the Bible. And God, just like you did with your own son, Jesus, who is the center of our faith, through his suffering, we know there is freedom. There are good things on the other side. And we thank you for it. Just with every head bowed in this room, in an attitude of prayer, before we take communion, I want to, um, I want to just ask if any of you have yet to receive Jesus Christ into your life, there's sin in your life and you're ready for that to be gone uh, I want you to pray this prayer with me you see at City Life we practice what we call open communion which means you don't have to be a part of our church to partake in communion but you need to be part of the family of God because it's a celebration of everything that is good it is a celebration of the suffering of Jesus Christ who suffered so much for you so that you can have an eternity with no suffering I want that for you. So if that's you this morning, you need, you want to give your life to Jesus. In just a second, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand. And when you lift your hand, I'm going to see your hand. I'm going to connect my faith with yours. And then we're going to pray together, receive Christ. And I believe miracles will begin to unfold even in your own life. You're going to feel an overwhelming sense of joy and a weight off your shoulders as your sins are forgiven. Who in here wants to give their life to Jesus this morning? At the count of three, lift your hand. One, two, three. Lift it up high so I can see it. Come on, lift it up. Thank you. Thank you. Who else? Put your hands down. Who else? Thank you, guys. For those of you who lifted your hand, I want you to pray these words with me. Congregation, I want you to pray these words also with me as an encouragement to those who are giving their lives to Christ right now. Because it's the most important thing that could happen today. Pray this out loud. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Wash me in your precious blood. Cleanse me. I make the choice to embrace the cross of Jesus and turn from my sin to worship you, to serve you, to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to the City Life Podcast. If you're interested in attending our Sunday service or would like more information, go to citylifefw.org.